Greetings in Jesus' name, and I do welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the service here today. And uh, it's been a blessing to be here, and it's a blessing to take part in the, the service um, here today so far. And I guess uh, today I'd like to continue on with uh, last Sunday. I shared about the two kingdom concept, and I would like to, to continue on in that. Um, just to perk our interest, I have a couple, uh, couple things here, quotes, sayings, and I'd like us to think about them before I, I get started. Billy Graham is quoted as saying, Our interests are in ourselves. We are preoccupied with material things. Our supreme God is technology. Most of us are more interested in getting to the moon than getting to heaven. We are more dedicated to material security than to inward purity. We give much more thought to what we wear, what we eat, what we drink, and what we can do than what we are. Another one by Dan Carmi. The church is full of people who want one eye for the world and the other for the kingdom of God. Therefore, everything is blurred. One eye is long and the other is short. All is confusion. When the Spirit of God is on us, the world looks very empty. The world has a very small hold on us, and we begin to let go our hold of it and lay hold of things eternal. This is the church's need for today. And I share them too with you just to stir some thoughts, I guess, them two quotes. Um, last Sunday, and I want to review just a tad bit, I talked about the two kingdom concept and how there is two kingdoms out here. Um, I think this is one of the concepts that we majorly blur in our society today. And we want to bring the world in, and we want it to be as uh, mired with the world as we can get. And then we ask the question of why is our spiritual life dead? So I, could, I, can't, I had three scriptures. Well, I had a few more. But anyway, I'm going to go through three real quickly here. Last uh, Sunday, and I'm going to catch up on them. John, John 18, 36a, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of the world. That's exactly one of the many scriptures throughout the Bible where Jesus states that he's here for a different purpose. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And the reason I bring up that one in 1 Corinthians 2.12 is because I believe our identity is in Jesus Christ. If your identity is not in Jesus Christ then you will try to accomplish the things of the world for your identity. So that's why I bring up, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but of God. The third thing we talked about was John 15, 18, 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world may hate you, for standing up for Christ and not for living for the earthly kingdom. And, and uh, I just wanted to touch on those real quickly before we get started here today because I feel like it gives us an idea. And then I came to the point in, John, in 1 John 2, that's where I'll be sharing from today, 1 John 2, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And as we dive into 1 John... Um, I'd like to make a few comments about this because we jump right into the middle of the scripture. And uh, 
Sometimes I struggle to pick out a couple verses in Scripture, and I encourage you, those other Scriptures I read, to go back and read them, get the context of them, because I do not want to take anything out of the context that God's Word is in. 1 John 2 was written by Apostle John. He was perhaps the last living apostle at that time. His feet were washed by Jesus. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He saw him raised from the dead. And John wanted to see the church stay on track and become a spiritual adult. If I can use them words, a spiritual adult. John was writing to people of all ages. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in uh, verses 12 through 14, he states different stages of our life. And each stage of the Christian pilgrimage should build upon the other one. As we walk this life, where we came from, and as we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, until spiritual adulthood, it should build on top of one another. When we are taught them truths in God's word, should become our foundation. And then as we live that out, should be a building block. And as we build, live more of it out, it should be more of a building block in our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and read 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 15. And last time we talked a tiny bit about this. It says, do not love the world. It really doesn't give us any options. So I'm not going to get into that real deep. I'm just going to leave it at that. Chuck Swindoll suggests the world system is committed to at least these three major things. Now, this is the world's system. Fortune, money, lots of it. Fame, popularity, we are great because of our abilities and what we can do. Power, having influence or control over an individuals. And pleasure, fulfilling our own desires. And I throw them out to you today because I think it's so very true. I think the world system is full of fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. So today, I'd like to spend some time of asking you the question, is what is worldliness? I've got a couple more quotes I'm going to read to you. The first one's here by Paul Fritz. Definition of worldliness. Worldliness is the lust of the flesh, a passion for sensual satisfaction, the lust of the eyes, an inordinate desire for the finer things of life, and the pride of life, self-satisfaction in who we are, what we have, and what we have done. Worldliness, then, is a preoccupation with ease and, and affluence. It evaluates creature comfort to the point of idolatry. Large salaries and comfortable lifestyles become necessities of life. I ask you the question, is that worldliness? Worldliness is not just reading about certain magazines of certain people who spend too much money on themselves, but secretly wanting to be like them. But more importantly, worldliness is simply pride and selfishness in disguise. 
It means smarting under every slight, challenging, every word spoken against us, cringing when another is preferred before us. Worldliness is harboring grudges, nursing grievances, and wallowing in self-pity. These are some of the ways in which we evidence a love for the world. So I ask you the question, and in verse 15 it says, Do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And before I go any farther, I'd like to just ask you the question, is how much worldliness is in your life? How much of the love of the world is in you? And is that what is keeping you back from walking in a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I believe that if we are bound to the world, if we are wallowing in self-pity, if we are overly concerned about what, what we have, and, and it goes right along with Sunday school. I didn't even plan this accordingly and look at Mark, I guess. Shame on me. But the, the whole today we studied Mark 8 there, and, and Jesus says, you're talking about the wrong kingdom, Peter. And that is exactly what I'd like to share with us today. That is the world's kingdom. Fortune, fame, power is what the world strives for. We as Christians are asked, and he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's really made me think about worldliness. So I had to think about the fact that if I am living a life that mirrors some of the worldly definitions that I just gave, or I associate my life and the identity of who I am by... One of those four things, the power I have, the skills I am, the fact of bringing that into selfishness for my own life, how do I expect to walk the pilgrimage of life spiritually with our Lord and Savior? Came across an illustration by Dennis Davidson. Let me illustrate what I mean by being bound to the world. Late one night, two men under the influence of alcohol went down to the dock where their boat was tied, wanting to cross the bay to return home. They got in the boat and started rowing. After they had pulled hard for some time, they began to wonder why they didn't, get, didn't reach the other side. They threw out the anchor and slept and went to sleep. When the gray dawn of morning broke, they saw to their dismay that they had failed to loosen the boring line. That's the way it is with many believers. They go nowhere because they're attached to material things that they're living for the rewards of this life. We find that a little bit comical. I did. I find that just a little bit amusing that you would row and row and row and not realize you're going nowhere. You would think, what a bunch of idiots. Cut the line, tie it, whatever. But I, I'll have to be honest with you. I had to ask myself when I was studying is in my spiritual life, Am I just rowing when I'm tied up to the world? And I'm just sitting there in the bay rowing, going nowhere, because I have way too many affections that I am bound and tied to. What is keeping you? What is keeping you from getting across that bay, if I can use that analogy? 
If time allows, we are going to get into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life here today, or part of them. Um, I do want to, I have one more thing here I'd like to, to read before we start into that portion. Because as I think about rowing and being tied to the world's whatever, you name it. And that's why I'm not trying to pick out a lot of individual things. Maybe later on we'll get into some individual things if the Lord leads that direction. But what I would like us to think about is as a general rule, because see, honestly, the world for Ellis might be different than the world for me. The standards, the things that control us might be, I mean, they're obviously a package of, of the same but what he really struggles with, he may not struggle with anything, but what he struggles with and what I struggle with might be totally different. So I could preach all day about money. Might not mean anything to you. Fame, fortune, power, whatever you have that is tied to the world. So I ask you this simple question is, are you tied to the world's docks in your Christian life? So what are we here for then? So he says, if you love the world, and then he goes on for the love, and he says in 17 that the world is going to pass away. Got a couple things here that I'm going to read. It's from Steve Shepard. God puts you here to love people. God puts you here not for yourself, but for others. To love others, to demonstrate kindness in various ways. Someone once wrote an article entitled, How to Be Miserable. It says, think about yourself, talk about yourself, Use I as much as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous be, and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement from your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful for you, for the favors you have shown them. Never forget a service you have rendered. Do as little as possible for others. And he summed it up so very well. That's why I chose to read that one. Because if we associate with those attributes of selfishness, we are tied to the world. We are, our boat is tied to the dock of the world. Dwight L. Moody said... God sends no one away empty except those that are full of themselves. And I say all that as we look at the lust of the flesh. And the reason I bring that up is because, honestly, the world is driven by selfishness. I find it very, very intriguing. He, he mentions these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And John lived 2,000 years ago, roughly. So... Some of us would think, man, maybe, maybe it was close to when Jesus walked. Maybe the world was a little bit better. But John recognized that in the pilgrimage of life, these things are a huge, huge hindrance. And I believe that these things the devil uses to distract, disrupt, and paralyze God's people. I believe he was using it back then, and he's using it today. By getting us so entwined to the wrong kingdom that we wonder why we can't get across that bay.
So the lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I skipped them too, but I'm just going to dwell on that one for a tiny bit here this morning. What is the lust of the flesh? I named it carnality. I don't know if that makes sense. But gratifying your own physical desires. It is trying to get all you can get yourself. If you are controlled by the flesh, if it makes me feel good, I'm going to do it. If I want it, then I'll get it. So I'd like to ask your you to ask yourself this question the lust of the flesh is getting all we can whenever we can and the lust of the flesh is carnality is your own physical you may say needs and some of them are needs food is a necessity i agree with you there are needs we need a place to live in when it's zero out i agree with you there's no problem with that but what is controlling us are we so controlled by our own physical desires and our own physical needs and wants, that that is all we are consumed with. I believe that is the lust of the flesh. If that is what motivates you, spurs you on in the day, and everything else, then that is the lust of the flesh. On the other side, God's kingdom is controlled by the Spirit of God. That verse I read, 1 Corinthians 2.11, is controlled by the Spirit of God. See, this is two extremely different concepts. One says, it's all about me. It's all about the human fleshly desires of what I want. Once again, I'm not saying this on one specific thing, but it can be all kinds of things in your life. You can be extremely selfish with your time. Sometimes as dads and moms, it feels like you have to be a little selfish if you want an ounce. But you can be extremely selfish with your money. You can be extremely selfish with your talents. It can be all about you. I believe the Spirit of God is an extremely different concept. If we're living in a worldly way, we're worried about all we can get and we deserve. But the Spirit of God controls us. We are not here to satisfy ourselves, but to do the will of the Heavenly Father. And when we read and we think about the lust of the flesh, I'd like to think about this. Is are you controlled by that? Or are you controlled by the Spirit of God? Which means you are here to do the will of the Heavenly Father. You are motivated to do what God wants you to do. And let me break just breaking news to you. That is not always going to be fun. I fully believe that that is not always enjoyable. But if we are living for God's kingdom and the heavenly kingdom, I believe we have to follow Jesus' examples in John 13. John 13, he took the towel and he made all the disciples wash his feet. Is that correct? No, it's wrong. That wasn't a trick question. He got on his knees and he served them. And he even did it amongst rebukes. Some said, you're not going to wash my feet. Oh, no, master. He says, no, no, no. I am here to serve. God's purpose is that one little caption I read. For us today and in God's kingdom is not the lust of the flesh. What makes us feel good. But it's what we can do to help somebody else out. 
what we can do. And I believe that this concept is so fundamental in the two kingdom concept that I have to ask you the question is, are you led by the Spirit or are you caught up in your own life? And you have to answer that question. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come here to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There is no one here who does not have something to give. You might not have a penny to your name. You might be down $10,000 or $100,000. That doesn't matter. You have something to give to someone. What can you give? A listening ear? A helping hand? Time? A caring heart? Would you go the extra mile even if it takes you an extra hour? What are you going to give the world? I believe if we are busy serving, if we are busy doing something, we will have a purpose and the fleshly desires are no longer that important to us. So I simply am going to quit with that one today. I'm going to ask you the question. Are you serving your flesh? Are you here to serve others around you? And as we look at the two kingdom concept, I believe they are starkly different concepts. And each kingdom embraces its own kingdom. Either you are here serving others or you are here serving yourself. It's called the lust of the flesh. May God bless you.